Hello, welcome to the Multicast. This is John Moore. This is your boy Friday. What's going on, guys? So, unlike the Trump administration, we had Infrastructure Week. Now, ultimately, ultimately, uh, we are where we started, but I still feel pretty good. So, were you able to pay attention to Infrastructure Week? Yeah. So, this is going to be an episode where I ask a lot of questions because... I consider myself, I do a weekly podcast on politics with you. I pay attention as much as I can. I'm following the right people. I get it. And even I was confused throughout this whole entire week. So I could only imagine someone who, I wouldn't say average. I would just say someone who doesn't pay attention as much. Uh, I could only imagine what they're feeling or experiencing with throughout this whole process. So the question I have for you is, there's two bills. One is the, through reconciliation and the other is going to get passed. What are the status of both bills and what happened this week that was causing all the confusion? Okay, so first of all, remember when the they came up with the, the $1.5 trillion, which is more of a traditional infrastructure bill. Uh, mm-hmm. At the exact same time they did that, there was essentially a $3.5 trillion bill that um, would be passed through budget reconciliation. Budget reconciliation is basically a way to get around the filibuster. And even Cinema and Manchin had agreed to um, consider that bill. You know, consider, well, actually, they didn't, I don't think they agreed on the number. They agreed on passing something through reconciliation. Okay? So one of the things that happened was when it first was announced, Biden says we're only going to pass them together. And everybody was excited. And if you remember, there was immediate pushback from both House and Senate moderates that you can't make us do it that way. So that was the original, I don't want to say deal per se, as much as what Biden promised. Okay. Um, they went ahead and they voted on it and they, the, the, the $1.5 trillion passed out of the Senate. So that means once it passes the House, bam, you've got it. And now let's go back to Trump. Every week was infrastructure week. The minute they take this vote, they have done something really successful. And on top of it, unlike the ACA and some of the other stuff, this will definitely be by bi- bi- bipartisan. There were there were at least the number of votes needed in the Senate to make it bipartisan, like ten votes. You only need one vote, but re- you know, ten votes that made it bipartisan. And we know that there'll be Republican votes for it in the Senate. So. Let's, let's, I mean, in the House, but let's put a brick on it right now. If for, all, if for any unknown reason that's the only thing that passes, it's a pretty damn significant issue. And like we talked about last week, we need to be in the end zone, cop in the pose, right? But we have the opportunity here, especially with um, Manton and Cinema agreeing to reconciliation, to do something even better, which is um, a... Build Back Better bill, which is also uh, under the guise of infrastructure, but it has a lot more stuff that's not necessarily traditional infrastructure. Down to free college, um, child care, a lot of things on the environment. Um, and so what happened was Pelosi and Biden somehow wormed out a way where they were able to say, okay, um, we are not going to really force the vote. You know, they kind of decoupled the two. And Pelosi said, and we will vote on it by whatever this past Thursday was, September 30th. Um, and so we go into the week, and it's going back and forth. 
and you have an increasing number of progressives. If you notice, and this is something that's really important, as much as the squad and everyone is out there, when it came down, when it came down to making this play, making this run, both you know, negotiating on behalf of the progressives, it was not AOC, it was not Ilhan, it was not Cory Bush, it was Pramila Jayapal, the congresswoman out of Washington, who just you know, who I think is a badass. I, I posted a tweet this week that said, you know, it's folks like AOC and those guys that make me not want to be a progressive. It's folks like Pramila Jayapal that make me have a hard that that make me keep me on the progressive team, you know, connected to progressivism. So I think she's amazing. So I've been talking a lot. First of all, so I just said a lot, and before we go to phase two, any questions? What are your thoughts? Is, is am no, I my, my question was going to be my question was going to be about phase two. So right now the status is there's a bill, and then there's a reconciliation part of the bill. Right. It was originally going to be planned to team up together, but then it, it turned into, all right, one passed the Senate. Let's go ahead and vote on it in the House, and then we'll worry about the rest later. Is that where we were at right. the start right. of the week? Right, right. Okay. And, and, and Pelosi had gone ahead actually early on and said, we're not going to vote on – we are not going to vote on the um, infrastructure bill until we vote on the reconciliation bill. Um, so – now, this is where it gets a little tricky, and it's internal Democratic politics, and I hope as a Democrat, um, and, you know, who wants this, who want, who just wants to get a win, okay? Maybe, maybe, maybe I should be a little bit more concerning from the stamp, a concern from the standpoint of what's in that win, but I know that whatever we get is going to be significant and huge. Um, so what happened is... Pelosi gave her word that they would vote on it September 30th. And the progressives were, whoa, not so fast. Not so fast. Now think about it. Biden gave his word that we were only going to do both. Pelosi initially said we were going to do both. But then somehow we got to a place to where um, the only thing that the moderates were going to agree to was to voting on, you know, not coupling them. And that's where a lot of the pushback is. So as the week went on, uh, the progressives held tough. They're like, we're not going to support this bill. And there's not enough Republicans who, the Republicans are going to vote for this bill, but not enough Republicans to vote for the bill that it would survive if, if the progressive block stands pat. Um, and so the argument was less this week on the details of the $3.5 trillion and more on whether or not they're going to actually have the vote. And the progressives held tough, and they held tough, and people were going back and forth and negotiating. And ultimately, uh, it's on Thursday they put they punted on th on, on on Thursday, and then they punted again yesterday, uh, Friday, uh, saying, you know what, we're not going to go ahead and um, vote on one without voting on, without at least an agreement on the other. Now, part of the reason why um, you need the agreement is that I guess reconciliation bills, and this is a really interesting process point, reconciliation bills have to start in the House. So what I'm saying is, even though the Senate is saying, um, even though the Senate has already passed the, the infrastructure bill, they couldn't start the reconciliation process there. They had like some type of, um, I think, resolution where they would support it. Uh, but realistically, it has to start in the House, the, the, the reconciliation process. 
Um, so what's happened is you have you had two things, two negotiations going on at the same time. You had a situation where the Senate moderates were maybe negotiating the price tag and the scope of the reconciliation piece. Whereas you had the House moderates really fighting for the vote. Many of the House moderates have even said they could support a lot of stuff in the package. And, um, but so you see what I'm saying? So you have a situation where, where it stands now, um, the House moderates just want the vote on the, uh, on, on the infrastructure bill. They're not really worried about the, the contents of infrastructure, but the, the, the House progressives are saying, unless we know that this thing is going to uh, get brought up immediately in the House and pass the Senate. So it's a two-part process is that once we even get to vote on it and get it passed, they're not going to pass something in the House as it relates to reconciliation that's doomed in the Senate. So even though, so they, so they're saying we need to negotiate the terms and agree on the terms of the reconciliation before we vote on infrastructure. Now, when Biden came in and spoke to the House Dems on Friday, um, the uh, the progressive saw it as a victory, the moderate saw it as a defeat. Uh, I and there's sniping back and forth. Josh Gottheimer went in and put something out negative, and Christine Cinema put something out saying that this was a breach of trust and everything else. But here's where I think it's really interesting. Joe Biden gave a price tag. Remember that the reconciliation bill that the House Dems, primarily led by the Crafts of One, is 3.5. Manchin said it's 1.5 on his end. Biden is, re- is, is now saying we need to realize that it's probably going to be around the $2 trillion. So I don't, they've got to get a, an additional $500 billion out of, out of Manchin. Um, so the winners and losers that came out on Friday... They both, the winners need to stop the end zone dance at this point, and the losers need to quit pouting. Because, and I'll tell you why, the winners, the progressives, won a process argument. But they're already going to be taking a haircut on the price. At least $1.5 trillion, if not $2 trillion haircut on the price. And the, the moderates need to quit complaining, because, yeah, they didn't get the vote. On the day they want it, but they're going to get a more scaled back reconciliation plan. So the team that won may want to feel good, but not spike the ball. The team that lost better, you know, not take their ball home and go home, take their ball and go home because, yeah, you didn't get the date you wanted, but you're most likely going to get uh, from the reconciliation, a, a reconciliation that's probably more palatable to you so i'm going to stop for a sec feedback what are your what are your thoughts there no i'm following you so far let me just continue to go a little, let me clear it up a little bit more there's two things that need to pass but one of them passed the senate already and it's gonna pass the house so that's a for sure w can you right, quickly right, confirm that right 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 yes so the only thing right now we're focused on is what the reconciliation part looks like and then will it pass in the senate is that the next step Yes, exactly. Okay, so both of those bills together are going to equal three, if it's 1.5 and 1.5? Right. 
If 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 it's okay. if it's if it, if, it, if it's if it's as bare bones as Mansion and that's one point five trillion bare bones. If it's as scaled down as Mansion wants it, between the two is three trillion. Okay. If if, so if, then, if, it's, if it's as high as Biden says it could be two trillion, then you're talking about three point five for the both of them. You know, combined cumulatively. Okay. All right. So then my question now becomes this. Why was Mansion and Cinema so in the news this week? If do we need fifty votes for the reconciliation part, or do we need sixty? Fifty. So then, it's really just Cinema and Mansion arguing about the price at this point, right? But and I, I do not have any special insight. Just the anecdote of what I've heard. Going back to the filibuster and some of the other stuff, there's been a lot of talk about. That some of Manchin and Cinema's uh, defiance on a lot of issues is there the two that are sticking their neck out, but there might be more. Uh, there might be a, 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 a small group of Senate Dems who are in their ear, like, keep it going, keep it going, type of thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I'm only giving you an antidote, but I'm just saying that based upon what I've seen on cable news, what I've seen some of the pundits say, is that realistically, in some cases, Manchin and Cinema are out front and putting up some of the resistance, but they might not necessarily be alone in behind closed doors. Publicly, they're alone, but I've heard that I've heard, and this is not inside information. This is just stuff I've gotten through the media. Okay, so then really, we're going to get both bills. It's just a matter of how much the second one really costs at this point. Would you say that's an accurate right. description? Right. right, and I think. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I can I could talk about my opinion now, but the the idea that cinema and mansion would hold this hostage is, is frustrating and I don't wanna pile on them. I do think that there's more Democrats there who do believe in what they believe in. My 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 problem isn't that it's not policy, it's not arguing for the sake of arguing. It's I said this a million times and I don't want to keep harping on it. Who are you there for? Because I read an article that said both bills will will help Mansion State more than a lot of other states. So who who is he trying to please here? Does he think he's there for the constituents? Is he there for himself? Because this seems like a win across the board. Cinema, I think, is a different story. My gut says she doesn't really want to vote on the reconciliation part of it. She really wants that not to happen. So my worry here is that we keep scaling down, scaling down, and all of a sudden at 1.5, it's still not going to pass. So that would be my two comments for Cinema and Manchin at this point. Well, I think, and I, I will tell you that I'm beginning to think that, and I think it's misguided. So I don't, I, I'm not, this right here, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not really defending them as much as I'm, Giving what I not a devil's advocate, but what I'm what I think they might even try to portray their um, reasoning is at least in case of Manchin. Manchin is going to probably fall back on you. Say who is he here for? He's going to fall back on the institution, right? He's going to fall back on principles and values, the type that no matter what the public, even the public in West Virginia, that no matter what they want and what they could be helped by. He is probably going to plant his flag, justify his positions through some type of institutional traditions. I don't know so much about cinema, but I think that's where Manchin is going to probably try to um, justify. But I also think, though, too, 
is if Manchin's saying 1.5 trillion and it's 1.5 trillion, I don't think I think we've got them. Um, I don't know, you know, Cinema's not given us a number, um, and you know, but here's the thing: this is another thing that happened this week. Evidently, Manchin gave a number to give the 1.5 trillion number to Schumer over the summer, and there's a paper trail that backs it up. And it was really interesting because I was watching MSNBC and Chuck Todd was like, how dare they not tell us this? And he was really pissed at Schumer and maybe Biden. But the thing is, is maybe they were protecting some type of privacy because you know who Chuck Todd wasn't pissed at? Was Joe Manchin. And I would think if, 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 if Schumer could have told the number, he would have. But I'm sure Manchin was probably asking for a little bit of privacy, too. So it's weird because there was some some in the press who were complaining about a transparency argument about we didn't know this. And they, they are definitely laying blame on Schumer. But there were multiple parties involved. There were other parties who could have also told us what Manchin's number one number was, including Joe Manchin. Right. Joe Manchin may have gave him a number and he may have said to Chuck Schumer, but you please don't say anything. You know what I mean? So I just think it's kind of, I thought it was kind of bogus of, of, of some of the press to get so pissed that, you know, there's, you know, certain individuals who knew the number, but didn't say anything. Yeah. Part of, part of this is just a negotiation tactic. It's maybe at some point, right? Maybe he did give him the 1.5 number and they were just trying to move him off that. Right. You don't want to necessarily do that in a public lens. So I don't, I don't blame Schumer or anybody for that, for that. But I want to go back to the point about Manchin and even cinema at some point is I I, th I disagree with the logic that he's going to plant his flag on the institutions and try to get, um, try to save basically everyone who voted for him in 2016, I guess, or whenever he was up. But I think that's a, a fatal tactic. And here's why I think that is because Republicans are hell bent on getting control back. And the climate in 2016 was just a little bit different than it is now. And now there's more people choosing sides. You're going to find less and less the purple voter who might, the, what they call them, the Obama-Trump voters, right, who voted for Obama and Trump later on in 2016. I think those people are less and less. And I think people are going to plant their flags into, I'm definitely voting all blue or I'm definitely voting all red. And... If that if you're reading that correctly, and maybe he isn't reading that right, maybe he still believes that there's going to be a middle ground here. But I I wholeheartedly believe there isn't as much of a middle ground anymore. And so the tactic of trying to get the middle is confusing because you really should try to get more people to vote for you who are definitely going to vote for you. There's people who voted for him who might be like, what is he even there for? Or they just might not vote in 2022, right? So I'd much rather pass the infrastructure bill, pass the other part of it, make it as high as possible, and make sure that those people who are turning 18 or people who've turned 18 who haven't voted yet is this idea that, all right, I'm definitely going to go back and vote for Manchin. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a fatal tactic to believe that that he's safe. I also think that they're both going to lose. I, I know I know we don't want that and I know that um you always tell me Mansions better than anybody else who's a Republican on that side for sure and I totally agree with the logic. But um I also just agree that they're going to lose their seats. I just I just don't see how they could play the middle this long and this aggressive and 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 not lose voters. Yeah, but I hear this is where I I don't disagree with you. First of all, I think we'll, we'll have Mansions vote. It, it's is 
we it, it's fair, one, fair enough. Yeah. We'll, we'll have Manchester's vote. It, 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 we're going to get what we want. The here's the this is where I'm at right now. The progressives got their victory last week, and I just told them not to spike the ball, but maybe they should spike the ball for one reason, just so you can say you got something. And then, would you agree if it's only 1.5 on the infrastructure? And only one point five on the reconciliation bill. That's three trillion. And if the Republicans did something as as monumental as that, they would be just celebrating like it wouldn't end. So I have a few requests of the Democrats. First and foremost, don't draw this thing out because the longer it, the, you and I both know when the Democrats win that. The minute the Democrats win, it's a yeah, but, and there's a dims and disarray. So first and foremost, let's resolve this problem quickly so that we can, because we're going to get dims and disarray stories to begin with. Let's not even, let's not even pretend in front like we're not going to get them. We're going to get the dims and disarray stories, but the sooner we can put this thing to bed, the better. Secondly, progressives, what you're getting is amazing and i do not need to hear the yeah buts i do not want to hear the yeah buts i want to hear the and i'm going to say it and you don't even have to believe about the fuck yes right you know because what we really need to do as democrats is show how effective we are and take credit for it the one of my biggest problems with the aca was the yeah but and that's why we lost the those people who stuck their necks out on the line in 2009 to pass the ACA that lost in 2010 a lot of it is those of us in the progressive and activist communities who did not have their back and the reality is is that we need to stick our necks out for them I mean, we've talked about this in previous weeks about how you know, we're punishing this or punishing that person. No, we need to celebrate and realize that whatever they deliver us, whatever they deliver us, it could be better. But the reality is, is, is that whatever we get, if we want to make it better, we're only going to make it better by reelecting the people who gave it to us, as opposed to not backing them, watching them lose and watching it all be taken away when the other party takes over. And so the other thing, though, that I heard, and this is uh, uh, something that I, I'm not sure where I heard it, which I think you'd probably agree with because you care about, like, people seeing stuff. They said <clears throat> the most important thing is that this reconciliation plan and even the infrastructure be heavy with the shovel ready. Meaning part of the problem with the ACA was they passed it, but we weren't even going to see health insurance for a good five, six years afterwards. They need to be able to have Joe Biden sign the bill and some dude is driving down your street with a steamroller and a truck tomorrow, right? They they need to sign the bill and whatever they're doing as it relates to some of this other stuff, they need to be able to go ahead. If someone's going to free college, you stamp the thing free on TV the next day. I mean, they need to really start. They can't go ahead and, and put a lot of stuff in the future. It's got to be immediate. And that is also what I think they need to do to potentially hold on to things and make 2022, uh, the, you know, I'm optimistic, but give everybody reason to be optimistic about 2022. 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree with you more, right? The Biden bucks, the Trump signing his name to tracks. People remember that wholeheartedly. We saw in Florida where there was polls saying, well, like Biden had lost a, a decent amount of the Hispanic vote in Florida. And a big reason why was that the stimulus money had Trump's name on it. And a lot of people remember that. And it was very, very useful to them. So I like I like the marketing of Biden books, the Biden tax credit. All that stuff is going to be very, very uh, good for us. All those steamrollers and cranes, all the stuff should have Biden's face on as far as I'm concerned, right? So we have to push that as much as we possibly can. I, I, I don't want to yeah, but this, but I just want to say something about the progressives. I told you sometimes they, they push it, push it, push it, and not to necessarily land you uh, where they want to go as much as they want to land you further than you are right now. So this was a win for them from what I understand online is is this idea that they are going to make this happen uh, along with the moderates, right? So I just, th- I just think we have to, what's the word I want to say? We have to continue to be on offense. Uh, like I'm really sick of playing defense and uh, people lost their seats in 2010 because they voted for the, for the ACA, even though that was massively popular amongst the country. And I think because people stopped talking about it and people were, were worried about the downside of it, that they didn't really promote it. So as far as I'm concerned, we, like we saw who's the, um, who's the, who's the woman who replaced Liz Cheney? Oh, uh, Stefanik. Elise. Yeah. Elise. Yeah. There you go. She was taking credit for um, some of the money that HHS, I think, was was donating to her state, even though she voted against it. Right. So Republicans are doing that because they know it's, it's massively popular. I just wish the Democrats did it more. We talked about it, spiking the ball, bragging and, and, and making it a point to do that. I think that sticks with people. And I think it, it, I think it's better than what happened this past week with all the arguing. I think that was very confusing for people. Right. Now, understand, too, though, and this is going back, and I want you to understand what the progressives won this week again was a process argument. And what's funny is you know how I've already said a number of times that I, I could have left the most progressive but have a hard time walking with them. I was on their side for one main reason, was the language that came out of Josh Gothheimer and some of these other folks was um, we got to support the Biden agenda. Well, Biden was the one who said he wanted both passed at the same time. So they were be- so the moderates were being very selective in how they are. But I will tell you, and this is you know hopefully a little bit of insight that I can give without compromising everything is the majority of the members in the Democratic caucus want both bills. Mm-hmm. They are they are not as invested in the process. But I also think that where the progressives did us a favor is I do think that if they had gone ahead and voted only on the um, uh, infrastructure bill, the um, the reconciliation bill would have been slow walked, right? That 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 would it have been this time next year, and we'd still be talking about the reconciliation bill. Is what I'm saying, you know, about you know what's going in it. So I do, I do like that. But like I say, I think the moderates need to don't even take an L. You can take an L if you want to, but don't take the L because right when, you know, they, all they heard was the votes delayed, but what they didn't hear was Biden already agreeing to shave 1.5 trillion off. That was where the moderates were, you know? So as I said, 
while the while the while the progressives are celebrating, might they really at some point in time they're gonna wake up and say, wait a minute, we got our delay, but the president's already said he's 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 willing to save one point five. So now the battle's gonna really be are we gonna what's gonna happen with that five hundred billion dollar difference between Manchin's one point five and and Biden's two million? And where's cinema? So I think that I think I think the you know if the moderates are real if they want it they have an incentive they want that infrastructure bill passed and now they know that they need it they need to do what they can to get the reconciliation bill out there the most important thing is urgency now there is no urgency from the standpoint of the calendar and deadlines but there is urgency from the standpoint of we do not need this battle protracted. We need it to be as condensed as possible. Just so you know, the House is going to be in um, what they call industry work period. I do never, knowing a member of Congress very closely, I never call it recess because I know that they work just as hard when they're in session. But there's a two week um, industry work period, and they are on a 72 hour notice. What that means is that even during that work period, they need to know that they will. Get a call. They could get a call anytime during the work period, saying you need to be in D.C. within seventy-two hours. So that's something else that we need to know about that. Yeah, that's interesting. Also, I don't think it's Mansion that we have to worry about as much because he he even though we have to worry about him, he, he drew his line in the sand, and we know where he stands. I don't think we do with cinema, right? And and there was some speculation. I'll just say the word of speculation because it is that she just didn't want the bill and that she was, she wasn't given a number because she was not intending to vote for it. Right. And I don't think there's going to be a single Republican to replace her with. So that, and I know she went home early, I think for a fundraiser in Phoenix, if I'm not mistaken. So I think our problem right now is going to be getting an, even if it's 1.5, if, if, if we know Manchin is definitely not going to do two and we know he's going to do 1.5, then we have to get cinema to commit to it. And, and then it's set. Well, here's a funny thing. One of the things that they had talked about is, and it's a kind of creative accounting, and you're in the film industry. I think I've told you about how creative accounting works, where I don't know if it's creative accounting, where some people believe that is Manson only talking about $1.5 trillion in, in um, a, a $1.5 trillion budget hit or $1.5 trillion um, as relates to that's how much money can be earmarked for this. And what, what I'm saying, now this sounds a little crazy, is Banjo only wants to grow the budget by $1.5 But if I've already got um, <clears throat> you know, X amount of millions or billions of dollars involved in tax cuts, and I cancel those tax cuts, does that, you know, and so what, I don't know have, have, if Manchin's done that. I've, I don't, I don't, so there is some question as to is he saying only one point five trillion as the total cost of the effort, or one point five trillion as relates to what's being added to the books? If we can shift monies here, cancel some programs here, cut tax cuts, or you know grab revenue here, shift this around, that how does that work? So the, I, I have you heard yet what if Manson has? made that clear because i know that i know and had you heard that there are some people who are wondering if you can get creative like that you know as it relates to yeah i haven't heard any of that kind of talk from what i understand it kind of seems like they're painting it as he just doesn't want to spend more than 1.5 uh, i couldn't tell you who what why or where but 
definitely interesting that you brought that up. And you understand what I'm saying is that 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 is a 1.5 yeah. trillion in new spending. Could it literally be if you're able if you're making it revenue neutral, right? Where this yeah. is being shifted from here, but that so, um, I don't know. But uh, that was not the only thing that went on this week in uh, D.C. You saw that the January 6th Commission has subpoenaed more folks, more Trumpsters. Uh, these were women who were very close. They were all women. They were involved in the Women for Trump or something. And uh, but one of them was Katrina Pierce, and I call her problematic fascist Bay. I, I she's you know someone I, I I would under normal circumstances if she wasn't a right wing whack job she's she'd probably be someone I'd have a crush on. Um, but uh, they're you know they're not giving up. They're going hard and they're trying to uh, continue to identify. Um, people that they can bring in. So it's getting tight. It's getting real. So what did you think of the, the, the expanded uh, subpoenas? Uh, honestly, it's fine, but your your bite has to be as big as your bark right now. They subpoenaed the earlier four people and nothing has come from that. Obviously, they're dealing with Afghanistan and the infrastructure bill. Like I understand that there's a process. It's not like I want this to be every single day, but um, they're already going to fight those subpoenas. And then I, I heard some of the commission talk about certain legal things that they could do to make sure that they testify, et cetera. Um, but look, it's a long process. Some of these cases take years and I just hope that we could move this along a little bit. I don't know if that's even possible. You might have more insight, but can we get going on this or is it just going to be a long process throughout the whole time? Well, I don't have any inside insight, but other than what I've seen on TV and one of the things that they talked about was that if these people don't um, respond or follow the guidelines as laid out in the subpoena, that they will be making criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. And, and evidently, when they do that, it's kind of perfunctory, where the Department of Justice has to kind of follow through and, you know, basically, you could be held up to a, you know, you could be charged and sentenced to up to a year and you know, then you got lawyers involved in negotiations. So um, there was some optimism among some of the legal pundits I've watched and heard that um, this isn't, because you have, because you have a justice department that's not going to be the defense attorney for Trump, uh, you might get a little bit more progress in this regard. You know, that, that, that the justice department is not going to just sit there and, sit on their hands, that they're going to really work to, to potentially help uh, Congress get these people to testify in, in front of Congress, and if they don't, hold them accountable. So we'll see. You know, that that is the hope. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, I just want it to be uh, – I, I just don't want it to be dragged out where it's like Biden's running again and we're still talking about this. Like I want this to be – uh, remember when McCarthy's one of McCarthy's demands was that this had to be uh, by the end of the year had to come, had to stop. So that's clearly not going to happen in this case. It's going to go on a little bit. So um, I, I'm glad it is, and I'm glad it's going to be in the news. I just hope that we could um, start holding these people accountable because right now there hasn't been any accountability for any of it. Well, you can't make demands on something that you don't agree to, right? I think I mean that <coughs> to me. Could that ultimately lead a bit most fatal mistake that the Republicans made by basically bowing out of the process and giving up any kind of control? And uh, to show you how Republicans can actually make a difference, good or bad, 
is both in the House and Senate this week. They had, uh, you know, uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, General Milley, and uh, another general testify in front of the Senate one day, the House the other. And it was weird because you sort of got the feeling that the Democrats were, I don't feel like they were protecting the administration or the generals. They were kind of more in the fact-finding mode. But the Republicans literally sought to exploit, you know, Milley was asked twice why he didn't resign. At one point, Tom Cotton went ahead and asked him why he resigned. And if you've seen the video, uh, Milley gave it back to him. And then the other day, uh, Matt Gates tried to come at him. And, and Milley just sat there and just, just gave him a look. It's, it's, it's fascinating because there is a lot of partisanship in there. And, you know, that's, that's fortunately what I think we're trying to avoid with the January 6th commission. And McCarthy gave up the opportunity. We wouldn't have allowed Matt Gates on there, but there could have been some of his allies that would have been a little bit more critical. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are going to try to, they're going to be like the Demo the Democrats on the, on, on the, on, on the, the various committees that spoke to the defense department folks this week. They were, not going for the jugular, but they were they were going to hold folks accountable, and they were trying to be they have the appearance of objectivity. Kinziger and Cheney are and and just you know Cheney uh, Cheney was on one of the committees that spoke to the Department of Defense people, and she thanked Millie for what for his efforts on uh, January sixth. So, I don't know. Did you see any of the, the any of the hearings this week? Uh, I just I saw the headlines kind of after and all the. The Tom Cottons and the Josh Howleys asking all those generals to resign and stuff like that. It's really interesting that the the Republicans have taken an anti army, anti troop, anti police stance post January sixth. It's very interesting to know that that's how they kind of felt this entire time. But they've been using the whole uh, troops and and Blue Lives Matter stuff to kind of get votes. And and I don't think that they're going to lose votes because the Republican voters are just going to vote for them regardless of the actual truth. But it's pretty clear and openly that that Howley, Cotton, and Cruz and all these people are definitely anti-police, anti-army, anti-general because they've really treated all those people, especially from the January 6th. Um, we saw those four police officers the first day. Um, they really treated them poorly. So um, they could, they could, as far as I'm concerned, whatever they say is just a lie. Well, speaking of which, and you, I'm glad you shifted to police. One of the things that fell apart uh, in the last week or two was the whole bipartisan effort to, in police reform. And <clears throat> one of the things that Tim Scott said was that the Democrats wanted to defund police. No, the Democrats, what they did was they wanted to assign some funding incentives to, I guess, ass assign funding to performance uh, measures, right? Something along those lines. And you want to know who came out after Tim Scott went on TV and fixed his lips to say it, tell that lie, you wanna know who came out in defense of the Democrats? I was shocked. The FOP. The FOP said, mm -hmm. no, we supported this. We supported this. I don't, personally, I don't want the FOP on our side, but because I, I'm not necessarily, as a labor person who wants to support labor, I don't think that they uh, serve their members well by, you know, doing such a good job of defending the bad apples. But uh, did you see that when the FOP came out and basically had uh, Cory Booker's back on this? 
I mean, if you had, I didn't see it at all. Yeah. If you ever think that in the case of police reform, you got Tim Scott on behalf of Republicans and Cory Booker on behalf of the Democrats, who thought that when the thing blew up that the FOP would side with Cory Booker? I didn't see it. Well, and we and we saw a lot of support for the four police officers who testified in the January 6th commission, and the Republicans were kind of backtracking on that. So, look, we know the truth here. We know Blue Lives Matter was all the front and all that stuff. So um, I think the FOP, like, like you said, it's something that I want to be on the side of the FOP, but uh, I think they'll tell the truth when it helps them. And I, in this case, they supported something that the Democrats wanted. So in this case, I, I'll, I'll take them on their side for now. But I also think one of the things that I'd love to have explored is, and, you know, as an African-American, sometimes we get in trouble for calling black Republicans Uncle Toms and sellouts and everything. But when you think about the fact that you had a bill that someone like a Cory Booker, uh, who's not considered to be a moderate by any stretch of the imagination, Something that Karen Bass, who is one of the more liberal members of the Congress, who's also going to be running for mayor of L.A. now, um, and the FOP agree on. And it's something that I read some articles that, in principle, Tim Scott agreed on. It makes you realize that Tim Scott was just a black face there doing the bidding for Republicans. And it was, a, and what they didn't want to do is they didn't want to give Biden and the Democrats a victory on police reform. Because if you had something that they all signed on to, including the FOP, when are you ever going to get the FOP and Cory Booker and Karen Bass on the same page? Corey, Tim Scott was sent there to be the black face to kill police reform. Because if he was there to actually make a difference and do anything, he would have supported what the FOP and Cory Booker and Karen Bass, and I believe I read that he at one point in time had support as well, but he saw a potential victory, and the Republicans could not handle Democrats and Biden a victory on police reform. They need the chaos. They need a dissension. They do not want the police reform. Yeah, of course they don't. They don't want anything, right? They don't. As far as they're concerned, if they punted the ball for four years, that's perfectly fine with them. Uh, we know that with everything, though. They a majority of them support the infrastructure bill. So majority of them support the COVID payments. So a majority of them support police reform. A majority of them probably support some sort of voting uh, rights act, right? But they're all going to vote no because they just can't, right? It's like voting with the other side is just. It's suicide for politically suicide for them. So I had no intention or no belief that Tim Scott would actually actually try to get things done. They're just all trying to punt the ball as much as they possibly can. And I think we see through that now, and I think voters see through it a little bit more as well. So I'm optimistic that this all these games are gonna backfire on them. Right. We, and we but here's the thing, and one of the things, and this is gonna go back to what we've talked about in previous weeks, which we talked about earlier is it goes back to the whole issue of we know what the Democrats need to do. And mm -hmm. as someone who's on the inside, but also has got a strong foot in the grassroots community, um, we need to do, when I say we, I'm putting on my grassroots hat now. We need to do a better job of defending our team. 
and celebrating them and working with them. We need to hold them accountable. We need to challenge them. I think if we are able to get a uh, reconciliation bill within the next two weeks, I think all praise is due to the progressive, regardless of what the bill looks like, right? The, the victory to me is the fact that they got it included and they demanded it be mm-hmm. included because I do think there was a very strong chance that they would have passed that infrastructure bill and we would have just been left waiting forever. So all praise and take that victory, take that victory, but then also realize that you have to compromise on 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 what we reckon on the reconciliation bill, and then go ahead and and whatever we get, spike the ball and then say we we did this and we want to do more. And the only way we're going to get to do more is if if we get reelected. I'm talking about the elected Democrats and in the grassroots community where we say and we have to reelect these folks, and we have to and mm-hmm. and and because we had police reform right this close, this close. And Tim Scott came and blew it up. And the only way that we can continue to win this battle is by keeping the Democrats in charge of both chambers, keeping Joe Biden in the White House and getting little victories. Remember we talk about it, and I know that the progressives don't like incrementalism, but at the end of the day, incrementalism is how most of the change we want is going to happen. Yeah, not only that, but the more and more that you do, even at how small it is, it's just going to help you win elections. I keep saying this, but it's not anymore about convincing people that you're on the right side of history. It's just doing the things that need to be done. And then more people, if we believe and we know for sure that the majority of the country is left-leaning, if we know for sure that everybody turning 18 tomorrow, majority of them are going to be left-leaning, the numbers are in our favor. And so what we need is is participation and turnout, right? So the way to do that is continuing to do everything to help people and pass bills. And no matter how small it is, I think people will feel that and understand that that at least we'll have a functioning government that's trying to get things done as opposed to, we talked about it before, right? The last two Republican presidents who have no significant kind of bill that changed this country, right? It's just chaos and, and, and economic downturn. So I think the country's on our side here. We just have to continue to do things. We can't do all, like they'll say in, in sports analogies, like you can't get it all on one plate, right? You just got to keep chipping away at it and eventually we'll get there. Nickel and diamond, five yards here, 10 yards there, pick up three. Every now and then you have an opening, throw the bomb, you might catch it in the end zone, but you got a nickel and dime. They were watching the Bears game last week. I was so pissed. It was the, I forget which game I was. I was watching something, maybe been a college game last week, where it was second and ten, and they weren't having a lot of success throwing, and they really went deep. I'm like, so now you got a third and ten, and you're definitely not. Don't get me started here. Uh, that being said, though, um, something new happened this week. Uh, a pleasant surprise. Is Stephanie Grisham came out with her. Uh, well, her book actually comes out next week, uh, but the the excerpts were leaked, and I think the funniest thing was that. Um, and I think that this is an HR violation, if you ask me. Um, Trump was really upset about Stormy, uh, uh, what was Stormy, <laughs> Stormy Davis? What was Stormy's last name? Daniels. Stormy Daniels. Um, a review of his um, endowment. And he decided to call his press secretary at the time, who was a female, and defend his endowment. And I just think that's just so inappropriate. But... Um, what what do you think? What do you, what, do you, what have you did you see any or any of the excerpts about the the, the Stephanie Grisham book? Yeah, I heard that one. I heard uh, we might have a clue as to what that secret visit to Walter Reed was uh, right before the holidays. 
Um, look, as far as I'm concerned, um, <laughs> I don't know how to say this, but like the more and the more you defend something, you're, you're probably, people can see through it. Right. So him calling people around me, I'm like, Oh, that's totally not true. Totally makes me believe that it is totally true. Right. So as far as I'm concerned, the best way to handle stuff like that is just to leave it alone. But we know that he cares about, he cares about the, like famously he cared about the, the small hands thing. Like it was, he was obsessed with it. Right. And obsessed with um, how was tall he is and his doctor made up the report that he wasn't uh overweight and all that stuff he was the greatest fittest president in the history even though he can't ride a bike or jog or walk up upstairs right so um we know that he cares about that stupid stuff and this is why like i always tell people like this stuff isn't important but it is because if it distracts them enough if it distracts them enough where they could not run their game then that helps us kind of run our game so I think the majority of these leaks are probably out. I think anything bigger would have would have came out already as far as this specific book. But um, I'm looking forward to the Maggie book, even though she's uh, seems like she's on their side in a lot of things. But there's a lot of tidbits that I'm waiting for, including that Walter Reed story. I, I'm not sure I fully buy what the reasoning was. Right. Well, um, one of the things that happens when these books come out especially by the former Trump insiders, a lot of folks, um, you know, love the juice, but do not want to put money in the pockets of the individuals that write them. Well, there's a solution. I have a solution for you. There's a thing called the library. Get a library card. I, I, I have, I've not done it yet, but I've decided I'm going to read a lot of these books, but I want to do it in a manner in which I'm not letting these folks profit. There's a very simple way to do that. And that's to go down to your local library and those people have already bought the books and read it that way. Because I think that some of these stories probably need to be told and need to be heard and need to be read. But we also are in a position where we don't want to necessarily put money in people's pockets. So if you have a little bit of patience um, that you might not get it when you go, when, when it's first made available. And since he's not in office, as long as you read it sometime before we start really getting in into 2023 in earnest, um, I'd say that's the best way to go ahead and, and, and get that information and get those stories. Um, I always think you should support libraries 100%, but I have a feeling that some of these books won't be in libraries because they're kind of trash in the sense of like they're gossipy and they're uh, in that nature. Obviously it's presidential, so it's histor- historical. It's, it's technically nonfiction. Um, but I don't know. You might open a couple and there might be some, some silly drawings in there, if you will. <laughs> Well, on that note, it's time to wind down. So this is John signing off. This is Friday signing off. Thanks for joining us, guys.